The South Congress Podcast is a lifestyle show that sometimes crosses over into mature territory. The views expressed are those of the hosts and guests who come from different backgrounds and experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everybody back to The Goose Down, the podcast where I review each and every one of R.L. Stein's books in the classic Goosebumps series. My name is Cameron Hawkins. I am the host of the South Congress podcast, co-host of the Pro Wrestling Torch East Coast cast, and a regular contributor to the Pro Wrestling Torch. If this is your first time listening, I think I did an okay job of explaining what we do here. If you've been following along, uh, thank you for being on this ride with me so far. Um, I've gotten a really a really good response. Um, people have been positively nostalgic about these books. People have gone back to reread them. They've sent me pictures of their Amazon receipts. I don't get the money, but thanks anyway. Um, but yeah, it's been a pretty cool ride. Um, so we're at the fifth book now, uh, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. And... In some ways, it really does closely follow the different plots of, I'm sorry, the different themes of the first four books. Um, a lot about can you trust adults? A lot about people feeling resigned and bound to certain rules um, that exist either classically in their society, um, things that might prevent them from furthering themselves professionally, things they feel responsible for that they just have to own up to and they have to obey. Um, So there's a lot of that that still goes on. Probably the biggest departure with this book is that the person or character or, um, you know, kind of entity that the book seems to center around is not the antagonist of the book. So there is some real misdirection here. Um, we, we do kind of stick with the theme of the preteen, you know, adolescent age. We stick with the theme of there being uh, one boy and one girl kind of fighting whatever perils going on. Uh, but this did have some pretty cool departures. So our main character is named Gabe. Gabe is a second generation Egyptian American. So this is our first character that is expressly and definitely a character of color. Like we had uh, Sherry in the last book who you could interpret as that from Say Cheese and Die. But then once the character got on screen, um, it did end up being a white character. Neither here nor there, not a problem per se, but I thought this was a cool definitive outlook on the character that you're following. 
So, uh, yeah, Gabe is a second generation American. Uh, the backstory was that both sets of his grandparents immigrated from Egypt to America in the 1930s, and his parents uh, both met in Michigan. Um, and they're really cool characters, even though they're not in the book a whole lot. It does kind of explain why he would be left in a pyramid more or less alone. So, uh, yeah, let's let's kind of get into it. Um, from the jump, our character Gabe is kind of a whiny kid. He's with his parents in Egypt. Um, they're doing some sightseeing, and he is thirsty. That's the first uh, the first kind of sign you get of his character. He's thirsty. He can't stop whining to his parents about it. Um, it's weird reading this as a kid because you don't think of other kids as super whiny. He's like the kid's just thirsty. And then at 33, it's like, kid, you're not going to die. This won't kill you. Um, we talk about his mom and dad. And his dad is more of a definitive character. Wherever they go to travel, his nose is always really deep into a travel book. The first thing that his dad asks him um, on the travels, he said, do you know how much one of the, uh, you know, one of the large bricks at the base of the pyramid actually weighs? And he says it's like a ton. And then Gabe makes the joke, wow, that's more than you and mom put together. And his dad gets annoyed because his dad's a bit sensitive about his weight. Um, I love when I read stuff about like pyramids in ancient Egypt and the Sphinx and stuff because, you know, my podcasting partner on the uh, Pro Wrestling Torch East Coast cast, Travis Bryant, is big into like conspiracy theories and who could have carved the pyramids and how were the tools so exact, you know, all that kind of bull. Um, I like to think that people were just good at math back then, but I don't try to dive too deep into it. It's fun making fun of him for doing it, though. Um, so. One of the other reasons that the parents are actually in Egypt, if you watch The Office and you're familiar with Bob Vance, they're actually refrigerator salesmen. Um, and they actually sell like refrigerator parts to different companies. Um, it just so happens that Gabe's uncle is also like a famous archaeologist. And so kind of two birds with one stone. We can come here, we can make some money, and we get to see our family. Um, the timeline of the story is really interesting. Because they establish early on that you're hearing a story about something that's already happened. So Gabe isn't relaying this live because he talks about how, wow, if I knew it was going to happen in a few days, like I'd really feel the way. So as they're sightseeing, Gabe's mom tells him that you should be grateful on what you're doing because nobody else in your class is actually getting to see the River Nile for Christmas. And when you try to explain like a unique experience like this to a kid, that's not cool because Gabe just talks about either wanting to be home or wanting to be playing video games. Um, and that comes up again a bit later. So how does the story actually get off the ground? How do we kind of get the parents out of the scenario? I feel like even in, you know, 1993, um, when the book is published or, you know, 1992, probably when the book is written. Being a refrigerator part salesman is probably going to pull you in a lot of directions. So they get a call that they need to go sell some parts in Alexandria. And Gabe's parents are at the hotel trying to figure out what to do. 
they're like, well, Gabe, we have to leave. And Gabe's like, nah, like, I don't want to go. Like, I want to stay here because Gabe is really into um, the pyramids and the mummies and things like that. So they put their heads together and decide, well, you can just stay with your uncle. And he's like, great. I want to be with my uncle. Like, I, you know, famous archaeologist. Like, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That's adventure. But the catch is his cousin Sari is going to be there, too. Now, this is cool um, because like me and my cousins, there was never really any like conflict or competition. Like my cousins who were the same age, we were just so excited to be together. Um, my cousin Deidre did have a neighbor. Um, and gosh, I forget her name. I think it was Shantae who was always getting us into trouble. She was like the Angelica of the group. And so dealing with her was kind of Oh, it was Chanel, Chanel Tosin. I never forget the name. Dealing with her was difficult because she was always getting us into trouble. But my actual cousins, like, there was never that type of beef. So um, him and Sari is her name. They're the same age. And one of the things that he remarks early on is that she's good looking and she's aware of it. And so you kind of get this idea that she's going to carry herself like holier than thou the entire book. And it's cool because they have a good relationship, but there's a lot of one-upsmanship between the two of them. Um, One of the things that they say, she's better than him at Super Mario Land because he has a Nintendo, not a Super Nintendo. And the nerd in me was immediately like, wait. Super Mario Land is on Game Boy. Super Mario World is on Super Nintendo. So, R.L. Stein, uh, do your research. Um, Gabe's alone in the hotel room after his parents leave, waiting on his uncle to show up. Um, his anxiety kicks in. Like, when's my uncle going to get here? My parents just left. I'm in this strange country. I don't speak the language. Um, and this is when he first pulls out a small mummy hand. That he actually purchased at a garage sale in America a few years ago. Um, And his anxiety being high, him having, you know, a kid's imagination. Immediately, he thinks he sees a mummy. And he's freaking out. Turns out, it's his Uncle Ben who just wrapped himself up to play a joke on him. One of the reasons that Uncle Ben actually tells this joke is... Well, one, um, it's kind of his sense of humor. And two, he's super excited because apparently they found a brand new burial chamber in the uh, Great Pyramid that he's been exploring. And so Gabe, sorry, kind of start to get reconnected. Um, Their uncle decides he's going to take him to a restaurant. So they serve flatbread there that I assume is non or at least something similar to it. Um, My other half uh, our family's Pakistani, and so that's something that's around a lot. Um, anybody can correct me if in Egyptian culture, it's a different thing altogether if it's just call it a different thing or the same. Um, of course, the kids, being kids, order hamburgers and like a chicken sandwich and french fries because they're kids. And, you know, kids just have kind of these weak palates, whether they know it or not. So... Uncle Ben, because of course his name is Uncle Ben, because we all like rice and we all like Spider-Man, right? Uncle Ben is talking about 
just the pyramid in general, all the fun facts. And he literally asks Gabe if he knows how far across the base of the pyramid is. Gabe's dad, Ben's type of person who, when he travels, always has those books on him. He immediately says 13 acres, much to the chagrin of Sari, who's kind of upset that he knows something that she doesn't. Um, as he's talking to them about the pyramids, Uncle Ben tells the kids, he's like, you don't believe in curses, do you? Because one of my coworkers at the site said that we just activated one. Huh? And that's something you'll touch on a lot in this book. In a lot of movies, children's movies or otherwise, there's always a scientist or an explorer or a treasure hunter or somebody who extends himself a little too far. And there's always some type of local that says, hey, we got a legend around here. This is what you don't mess with. This is what you don't do. I'm just trying to let you know what's going on. And what we find out is Uncle Ben does not heed that warning. So they get to the pyramid. They start to descend into it. And, you know, excavations and things like that. There aren't escalators inside pyramids. So there's a rope ladder. Gabe misjudges the rope ladder and starts to fall a little bit. And sorry, catches him. And he's immediately mad because that's another thing that she has up on him. This is when we first meet uh, Ahmed who is who told Uncle Ben about the curse of the pyramid. As they're having a conversation, um, they kind of notice that Ahmed is pretty stone faced, doesn't have a whole lot to say. And, you know, as the adults are having a conversation, Sari's like, hey, Gabe, let's go exploring in a pyramid, which is literally the worst idea possible. Like, why would you go exploring in a place that you don't know, let alone a place that nobody's been able to chart successfully? But, yeah, that kind of happened, I guess. So we actually get to kind of the bottom line of why Gabe and Sari have a beef. Once upon a time in America, um, they were at Gabe's parents' house and they were doing like some some wandering around. And he convinced her there was a haunted house on the block and he took her to it. And his plan was to scare her. While he's formulating the plan in his head, he realizes that he can't find her. So he's going room to room to room trying to find her. And he realizes that after he gets home and she's sitting in the living room or sitting in the kitchen eating a piece of chocolate cake, that she got one over on him. As he's revisiting this, it's because he can't find her in the pyramid. One of the things that was talked about at the dinner was that Uncle Ben had found the location of an empty stone case um, that didn't seem to have a mummy in it. Gabe stumbles upon it and the case starts to open. And it's sorry on the inside. So he is scared to death. But this is another one that she has up on him. Uncle Ben finds them and gets upset at them for wandering off. And he ends the excavation early. He's like, okay, you kids, you've done enough. Let's leave. As they're leaving, sorry, tells him what you did to Gabe. And being the good uncle that he is, he busts out laughing too. This was something really cool that happens 
and kind of explains what's important to kids. So towards the beginning of the story, Gabe didn't show a lot of interest in the Nile River because that's not something any of his friends would care about. As they're eating breakfast, there's a box of Frosted Flakes that does have Tony the Tiger on it, but everything else is in a foreign language. He was upset that he would not be able to actually show that to his friends because that's something that they would find more relatable. Um, But he didn't want to ask sorry for it uh, because he thought he'd like a nerd if he did. So Uncle Ben brings them some information when he gets back to the hotel, saying that apparently two of his workers have come down sick and he needs to go check on them. They're already in trouble for not obeying his wishes by not staying close to him in the pyramid. But. They're kids. They can't sit still. So they're like, you know what? We'll go to the museum that's right by the hotel, but we'll leave a note with him saying where we'll be. Being somebody who, um, you know, I went to a big school. I have friends of mixed ethnicity, some who grew up in America, some who didn't. But a lot of them are, you know, second and third generation Americans, kind of like Gabe is in the story. And it's always interesting when, you know, at one function, they'll be in like a T-shirt and jeans. At another function, they're in maybe traditional cultural attire. Um, So one thing that Gabe sees when they're on the street, on the same path that you'd see like a woman in a T-shirt and jeans, you'd see another woman who's pretty much covered up in like Arabic or Muslim attire. And he just makes a point of saying that. I thought this was cool of R.L. Stein to kind of set a tone and to give you a visual of what Egypt would have looked like in the early 90s, being a place of cultural significance, but also a place of pretty heavy tourism um, and, you know, quote unquote, free borders. And so you're going to see a lot of people allowed to be progressive in, in that instance. Um, once they get to the museum, uh, Gabe starts to get one over on sorry because he explains to her what actually happens when they create a mummy. You know, the key part being after someone dies, they use a hook to pull their brain out by their nose. And this is when you see kind of what bothers her. It's not jump scares, but it's the actual grossness of a situation that kind of throws her off. So while they're in the museum, they see Uncle Ben's co-worker Ahmed kind of going up to him and as he gets closer they start to run away from him and they realize they can't run any further and he's like wait why did y'all run away like i just met y'all yesterday i just have a message for you (laughs) and they were like oh our bad like we we just you know we're kids um we're here by ourselves like we were kind of nervous and basically what he tells him is um yo i need to uh you guys need to come with me um Uncle Ben really wants to see you. And they're like, okay, you know, makes sense. We'll get in the car with him. This immediately made me think of Next Friday, the worst movie in the Friday series, but still a movie you should see, about how Debo and Sticky Fingers pulled up on Pops and was like, they sent him a message at the taco shop saying, hurry, come quick, Craig's in trouble. And he immediately went because I don't know why. Because why would they assume that 
you would be at that taco shop at that point in the day to get a message. But me trying to make sense of next Friday, that's for a different podcast. Um, so they get in the car with him and they notice that he's driving away from where the hotel is. And their instincts being the right instincts, they jump out the car and run back to the hotel. Um, as they're going back, they're so nervous that they don't know where they are. They jump in another taxi. They ask him to take them to the hotel. He looks at them for a while, then laughs at them. And so they're nervous that somehow this dude, Ahmed, has goons who knows where they're going to be. And then the taxi driver points up. He's like, yo, we're at the hotel. And so gave him a little scare. They get back to the hotel. They get to the room. Uh, somebody starts to come in and they get nervous, but it is Uncle Ben. And when he goes back, he tells the kids, well, the workers weren't sick. They were just like in a weird state of shock and like frozen, scared, stiff. They tell him about Ahmed and how he was driving them the wrong way. And he's like, yo, I didn't even send him to come get y'all. What's going on? So he's like, okay. We're going to go back to the pyramid, right? Because we got to find out what's going on. I don't want to leave you guys here alone. To me, it was like, well, why don't you just tell the police? You're a famous archaeologist, but never mind. Um, he gives them like beepers, but like homing devices so he can trigger where they are. Um, whenever they hit the button, it'll let him know their location. Kind of like more like a, a signal ring more than anything else. As they're back in the pyramids, Gabe gets lost again. Because if Gabe didn't get lost again, we'd have less story. Um, as he gets lost, the floor actually gives way and he tumbles into a hidden chamber and sees a mummy. Now, guys, at this point, we are about halfway through the book. There's been no mummy. There's been no magic. Like the, the whole plot device is like one bad coworker so far. Um, but yeah, so let's keep going. He sees a mummy and he looks around and he realizes it's a room full of mummies and full of tools that really hasn't ever been discovered. So he's like, yo, I don't know where I am. Let me hit the button on the beeper. It being a beeper and him having dropped a whole story essentially into a chamber, the beeper was broken. So there's nothing he can do. As he starts to feel his way around the room, he realizes that there are scorpions all over the floor. Um, and it causes him to not be able to maintain his balance. I guess just out of fear, as he starts to fall, somebody grabs him before he hits the ground. Um, and it turns out it's sorry. So, yeah, we're, we're 14 chapters through. So no definitive plot has been established as far as an antagonist that presents real danger. Like, not that kidnapping isn't real, but, um, you know, this is way before Taken. So human trafficking isn't that thing at this point. Um so sorry finds him looks around the room and she sees what they have too she hits the beeper turns out Ahmed then found him again so they're like oh Ahmed like yo um what's going on and he's like super serious and he tells him yo I told your daddy to stop playing with shit I scared his two workers like, after I told him not to be down here, that he doesn't need to go any further, that's why I scared the workers. And when I found y'all, I was just going to hold you hostage until he agreed to leave. But you got a stubborn-ass daddy. So now I got to do what I got to do. 
So it's interesting. Like this wasn't something I expected to tie into the other books. But if you look at Spidey and Say Cheese and Die, his motivation was, hey, I created this evil camera um, and it's been killing people. So it's my life's work now to make sure nobody else uses it. And if anybody finds out about it, I can't let it get out. So you kids are stuck here forever. If you look at Ray in Welcome to Dead House, his job was basically to set up whatever family moved in so that they could be killed and sustain the people who lived in that town that were victims of what happened at the factory. Look at the dad and stay out of the basement. Um, The plant. Um, that may or may not have replaced him. Um, you know, he was doing work that he could not express to anybody. And as soon as somebody found out, like his old boss, he had to stash my man in the closet. You look at Aunt Catherine and Monster Blood. Somehow she had to cut a deal with a witch and she was doing all this stuff to try to get her, uh, nephew and his friends to leave so that they wouldn't get caught up in it so a lot of it is that plot device that's in every one hour drama that you love i gotta keep the lie going as long as i can which i'm gonna say is in an effort to protect anybody but yeah apparently my man ahmed is the descendant of whoever had been protecting this mummy's tomb for years and years and years right um and anybody who got caught violating Whoever was in his bloodline, they had to silence him. And it's not like they were killing people and then, you know, burying them in a tomb. Like it wasn't like uh, what it wasn't like uh, Chris and Snoop in The Wire where they were killing you and then boarding you up in the vacants. This was Ahmed and his ancestors having some sort of tie to the Egyptian princess Kala to where, yeah, if you violate the tomb, we're going to mummify you alive to honor her wishes. Wild shit. So before he can do anything to the kids, Uncle Ben pulls up. That don't scare Ahmed. So he hit him upside the head with a torch. He didn't burn him. He hit him with, you know, the wood part, the stone part, whatever his torch is made out of. Um, what are torches made out of? I typically think of Indiana Jones having a, a wood torch or a wrap torch, whatever. But it was hard enough to knock Uncle Ben ass unconscious. So they notice that there's tar also in the room. So here's what they do. He stuck Uncle Ben in the mummy case, right? He sticks him in there. Um, and the plan is to keep him in there until he passes out. And then when he's passed out, but still alive, that's when you hit him with the tar and then you wrap him up in, uh, what is it? The papyrus, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I was an archaeologist, but that's how you do the sacrifice proper, right? So he tells the kids, he's like, yo, get in the case. No, we ain't getting in the case. Yo, get in the case. No, we ain't getting in the case. Then he pulls out like a big, long curved blade and they got their asses in the case. So, you know, 
they are scared. And Gabe is trying to plead with him. He's like, yo, we're just kids. You can't kill kids. And Ahmed, without breaking stride, is like a lot of the pharaohs that are buried here, that are buried here were your age when they died. And so he's like, kid, adult, it's all the same to me. I'm sacrificing your ass. So they're inside the the case, right? They know it's over for them. There's nothing they can do. Next thing they know, they hear a knock on the case, and it opens up, and it's Uncle Ben. Why? Because Uncle Ben knew where the release was on the mummy case, on the tomb. Why did he know? Famous archaeologist. And he tells him, yo, there was always an escape hatch for souls in case he needed to get out. So, did it. Got him. So, basically, as they start to escape, yo, Ahmed pulls back up on him. And I don't know about Uncle Ben. For all this archaeology, he ain't knocked nobody out like he needed to. And he says, okay, well, since nobody's going to be mummified, Y'all have already violated to the point where you've interrupted what the ritual is. I'm just going to go ahead and make y'all suffocate in the tar to death. Whoa. <laughs> he went next level like super fast as he's pulling up on him because he still has that long curved blade and he's kind of edging them toward where the tar is. The last second, Gabe, just on instinct, pulls out the summoner. That he still had on him. So the small mummy hand, right? Yo, I don't know whose garage he got this out of. I don't know what angel or pharaoh or sphinx or I don't know if it was the rock and mummy returns. Could have been the scorpion king. Somebody had his back because Ahmed immediately shouts out the hand of the priestess. And as he says that a mummy shows up behind him. And then another mummy and another mummy because this room is full of people that him and his ancestors have buried alive for disrupting his tomb. You know, the mummies were sick of his shit. So basically, when Gabe pulled out the mummy remote that was the hand, they all pulled up on Ahmed. They picked him up over his head and they were about to throw him in the tar pit. But, you know, mummies are notoriously slow. So he was able to, to shake him. But he realized at that point, yo, he was licked. It was going to be no more living sacrifices. Certainly wasn't going to be no dead sacrifices. He got smooth out of there and ran away. Never to be seen again, right? So, the mummies actually had no beef with Gabe, with Saring, or with Uncle Ben. They didn't want no smoke with them. So, they really just walked smooth out of the pyramid. They were good because... Once he got away, um, the person who I guess they deem responsible or of their bloodline, they went right back to where they were sitting. It was almost like the toys in Toy Story when Andy comes back in the room. Everybody went right back to their spot. So they get back to the hotel and Uncle Ben acknowledges. He's like, yo, whatever we was looking for down there, you found the most important artifact. And they kind of have a laugh about that. Um, and so Gabe is now trying to scare Sari because he knows that things that are actually legit creepy at the moment would get her. So he kind of has the summoner and he's kind of pointing it at her and shaking it at her and then hear a knock on the door. It's like, oh man, the mummy's pulled back up. Nah, it was Gabe's parents after a successful refrigerator parts sale. So yeah, that's that's the story. Um, 
it's really interesting because the mummy returns um not to be confused with the mummy returns but the mummy comes back in, in later books like this is um a recurring character but this is really the first book to end on a tidy note in this series at least at the moment now i think um what might have happened was it being the book that had a neat ending and the rest of me not having that i think you know this is still when rl stein is kind of experimenting with what he wants these stories to be which is why i think this one opened up a bit later um it's weird, like, this book functions almost outside of the realm of a horror story. Um, so so if I have to, like, do a ranking so far, this would have been my least favorite. But it was still pretty good. If for no other reason, then, I love that this was a different character than you're used to getting in books. Um the way that he visualized the world around him and was able to explain that I thought was really cool. I liked the relationship between cousins, like them really caring for each other, but having that rivalry. Um, yeah. And just the overall scope uh, of what Egypt was and how they described the pyramids, um, even the real antagonist motivations, um, whether I agree with him or not, like they were understandable from the, uh, from the trope of foreigner in a foreign land, violating some type of rule or principle or um yeah rule or principle or custom um that they weren't familiar with or were familiar with but just didn't believe in based on their own sensibilities so uh yeah i mean overall it was uh maybe my least favorite from the point of being a horror story but i did think that the story itself uh was pretty good so yeah um Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, uh, Goosebumps. Um, you're going to see this come back whenever we get to the 23rd book, Return of the Mummy. Um, if this is your first time listening to the Goose Down, um, we have covered the first four books in the Goosebumps series, which to date would have been Welcome to Dead House, Stay Out of the Basement, Monster Blood, and Say Cheese and Die. We do also have our first piece of Goose Down uh, merchandise. If you go to tpublic.com slash Seahawk, you're going to see uh, that we have the design from the very first cover art, which is going to be uh, basically Welcome to Dead House is going to be the first one. It's going to have that color scheme, a bunch of the Goosebumps covers kind of stylized in the background, and my big pretty face with a glowing outline like I'm a ghost. Um, and so, yeah, um, you can get that in T-shirts and stickers and posters and notebooks and whatever. So that's going to be up. But, yeah, please go back. Listen to the other episodes. Um, if you enjoy this and you enjoy the other ones, like I know you will, um, please go to the uh the iTunes store and leave us a five-star review. Let everybody know what you think um, of the goose down so far. Uh, make sure you tell your friends about it. Um, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, we're also on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher. So a million different ways you can get to this. Um, yeah, it's been episode five of the goose down covering R.L. Stein's classic Goosebumps series. It was the fifth book in the series, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. My name is Cameron and thanks for joining me. Want to support the show? Want a specific topic, comic, show, or movie discussed? 
Supporting the South Congress podcast on Patreon allows you to dictate the conversation. Visit patreon.com slash Seahawk for details on how you can support and guide the show. 